0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dina Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. 2022 was a record year for us, and we just want to thank everyone who made it happen, from our participants to our volunteers to our supporters, everyone who supported us in 2022. Thanks for the support. Help us make 2023 even better. So how do you do that? Well, currently we're recruiting for many of our fall events, believe it or not, it's, it's not even spring and we're already recruiting for our fall events, but they fill up quick. Uh, we recently just launched our New York city marathon team, our Chicago marathon team, along with our Berlin marathon team. We also have other races available in spring as well. And locally here in Connecticut, We've got our golf outing coming up on June 5th. So if you love to play golf, we've got a great event for you at our charity golf classic down at Shorehaven Country Club. If you own a business and can't meet us out there on the golf course, but love to, to sponsor the event, we've got plenty of sponsorship opportunities available as well. We also have many virtual events going on this year. First up is our Purple Patties virtual 5K happening St. Patrick's Day weekend in March. To learn more about all these great events happening here at Project Purple, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us wherever you are on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from Avon, Connecticut. A little bit of a drive here from our home office in Seymour, probably about 45 minutes, a beautiful Route 8. I, th- I guess you can go up 84. But pancreatic cancer survivor, Jay Booth, welcome to the Project Purple Podcast, Jay.
1: Thanks, Dean. Glad, glad to be here.
0: And I'm excited to have you on. I I, I say this a lot, but I'm, I'm being sincere here. I, I get excited when we have guests that are survivors. Your story, which we're going to get into, and I'm not going to, I am going to tease it here a bit. You were supposed to be on the podcast a while back, You had a little bit of a setback. And it's exciting to have, when, when your uh, assistant reached out to me and said, Jay, Jay wants to be on the podcast, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I, I can't wait for this because I, I have been following your journey. I, your assistant also, uh, you know, wonderful human being. Uh, she had sent me a couple emails um, and I was following your journey. I, I think your wife created a link to, uh, to follow. So I was getting some updates and uh, just, I, I'm excited to have you here. You look great. Uh, for those that are watching on YouTube, or will see some of our clips, but uh, I know a little bit about your story. So I just really excited to have you here because uh, I know this is a, a special thing uh, for you. Um, and I'm excited to share your journey with our audience. So with that, as is customary, our our first segment here at the podcast is always our guest opportunity to kind of share their journey with pancreatic cancer. And as I said before, we hit record. You can stay as high level as you want, or you can get in the weeds as much as you want. And with that, Jay, the microphone is yours.
1: Thanks, thanks, Dino. Uh, so I'll try not to bore everybody. But uh, so my, my my journey actually started in uh, November of 2021. So I uh, I woke up uh, one day and you know my urine was a dark color and. I just thought I was dehydrated, so I started drinking a bunch of water. Um, you know, it, it kind of you know came back again the following day, and um, yeah, you, you really just don't think about it. It's just it's just something you're just, just not thinking about. And my stomach had kind of been bothering me a little a bit of queasiness. Um, you know, I just gotten back from Atlanta, and, and, and the, uh, the 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 uh, the flight wasn't turbulent, but I was just kind of queasy before and after the flight. Um, just kind of, just kind of strange things, and then uh, on Thursday. That week, um, uh, you know, I went out to dinner uh, with friends and then the next day I woke up and I looked like Homer Simpson. I was completely uh, yellow um, from jaundice. And so uh, I went, I went, you know, I worked that day and I figured I'd just go into the urgent care uh, on Saturday. I figured I'd get like a vitamin D shot or something like that. I mean, my experience with jaundice is when I had, you know, one of my kids was a newborn and, and had you put them under a sun lamp and, you know, and that, that that's all you do. And so I figured it was the same thing. So I walk in the urgent care and the first thing they tell me is you got to go to the emergency room. We can't help you at all. And this is serious. So, uh, went to the emergency room at UConn, uh, John Dempsey Medical Center. And, uh, you know, they did sonograms. They did a CT scan, uh, and, and, and basically concluded, um, that my bile duct had narrowed, um, because of a lot of sludge they thought was in there. They, the pancreas looked normal, uh, but they thought my gallbladder was the culprit. And um, sure enough, when they, you know, we did a surgery, they went in to take it out. And um, my gallbladder was uh, full of mucus. It wasn't holding bile like it was supposed to, it was contributing to a bunch of sludge and, and, and stenosis of the bile duct. And so they they thought they found it. They, they put a stent in my bile duct to keep it open. And they basically said, hey, look, we think we fixed it. Uh, you know, we did, we did a CT scan, uh, your pancreas, we didn't see anything. And, uh, you know, you come back here in early January, we'll take this stent out. We think that'll give it uh, the bile duct sufficient, you know, time to kind of be open and heal and, and, and all of that. And, uh, sounds good. And, uh, so on January 5th, I came back. They removed the bile, the stent from my bile duct and they did notice a couple of lesions there. And they said, oh, you know what? We'll just take a couple of cell brushings on this, um, and send them off to the labs. And, you know, if anything comes back, you know, we'll, We'll tell you. And, uh, those brushings came back as benign. Um, but what happened the night of January 5th, um, my, um, uh, bile duct closed back up. Uh, the stent it didn't keep it open. I was in extreme pain at this point. Uh, you know, nauseous. Uh, you know, I had to get my wife to take me back to the hospital. They readmitted me, uh, there at the hospital and they did, did more sonogram work and they did another CT scan. And that CT scan revealed something, quote unquote, something that was there. They, they couldn't tell. They thought it was small. Um, you know, they, they didn't know what it was, but they, they did say based on some of the lab work that was being done, the blockage that was kind of closing the, the bile duct at this point was, was, was clearing itself, but they would go ahead and put in another, another stent. Um, and then take some more brushings while they were down there. Uh, so they went in, put the stent in. That was January 7th. Um, took the brushings. And then on January thirteenth, I got the call that those came back um, as malignant with uh, pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Um, and what they wanted to do was put a—they uh, wanted to schedule what's called an ERCP, EUS, which is an endoscopic procedure uh, with a sonogram to basically identify and, and try to, you know, mark where that uh, where that uh, tumor is or the suspected tumor was because again, they it wasn't very clear for them on the CT scan. So, um, about, uh, uh, I think it was on the, um, uh, 17th, I went back in, I had that procedure done. They didn't do a biopsy of it. They had cells that were, that were cancerous. They didn't want to, you know, you know, hit the, uh, hit the hornet's nest, so to speak. So they did confirm that it was at the head of the, um, it was at the head of the pancreas. Um, and, uh, they, they wanted me to, uh, do a CT scan and a PET scan, um, as well. So a CT scan with contrast and a PET scan, the, the problem was, and and, and I, I I am greatly deeply thankful to UConn that they just kept looking, right? They they weren't satisfied with with not getting an answer and they kept looking. But the problem with the state run hospital is hey, if you want to get the PT scan in the in the in the uh sorry, the PET scan, the CT scan, uh that's gonna take about um three to four weeks to get those done. And that just wasn't working for me. So I, I went to Hartford Hospital and um on the twenty fifth i got a uh, january i got both the ct and pet scans done that same day um they were read by a, a surgeon at, at mass general uh, uh brigham i got a appointment to go see him on the 28th of january his name was um uh, carlos uh fernandez del castillo no wow well. uh, who's, a, who's a, yeah who's a pretty well-regarded uh guy i i was trying to find the number one guy in the on the east coast and uh luckily he was in boston <laughs>
0: so. yeah we 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 live uh i know you're not from connecticut but you know i always tell people who either are from here or you know if you move here yeah we pay a lot in tax but uh we've got pretty good access to healthcare uh more so than people in other parts of the world or even you know not even in the world but here in the country right like there's some parts of the country where you know we're two and a half hours to Boston, two and a half hour, or two hours, two and a half hours to New York, to some amazing centers. I and mean, there's some amazing doctors here in the state too, as well. I'm not trying to, but you know, when it comes to a specialty like this, to your point, you know, if you're two hours from Juan Carlos, you go see him.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, and, uh, I, I was looking around, I, I, you know, obviously I knew some people that were on the board of Mass General and, and I called them up and, uh, they helped me get in to, to see him that quickly. In the meantime, what I had been doing uh, through a nurse navigator at UConn was to find a therapist. Um, you know, there's a huge mental health issue when you kind of, you know, have yeah, going through this diagnosis. And uh, and one of the things that I wanted to do was to find someone I could talk to um, about this. And, and luckily, uh, UConn had a had a phenomenal therapist there named Dr. Judith Cooney. Uh, she works out of Farmington. Uh, Connecticut. And um, uh, she's a, she's a breast cancer survivor. So um, it's it's great to be able to actually talk to a therapist who's a cancer survivor to, to help kind of go, help go through things and help ground you. And that, uh, that was really, I, I think the mental health aspect, it, it often gets overlooked, but it's, it's just as important as, as everything else. Um, but so, so I met with, it was a Friday, it was the 20th of January. I met with um, uh, uh, Dr. Fernandez. And he basically told me, look, the train hasn't left the station. Um, You know, he was wondering why it hadn't been seen in in, uh, the scan that was done in November. And he kind of pulled them both up together and looked at them and said, hey, look, if they knew exactly where it was and exactly what to look for, you know, maybe you could see it. But he goes, he was having because he could you could barely see the faint outline of the of the of the tumor at that point in time. So but he wanted to, to reassure me that the train hasn't left the station. He recommend he recommended neoadjuvant chemotherapy and chemoradiation um, in hopes of reducing the tumor. I, I was resectable um, from the start. I didn't have any any um, blood vessel involvement uh, right at the right at the head of the pancreas where it's supposed to be. But he said they had much better, or much greater, and improved patient outcomes at Mass General. Um, you know, if they did the neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which is the chemotherapy and chemoradiation prior. To have in the surgery, which is the, the 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 true cure path, if you will, when it kind of comes to pancreatic cancer, which is the Whipple procedure, um, which is a pretty invasive uh, surgery. Not that I think any surgery is not invasive, but uh, it's, uh, it's 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 right up there with um, open heart surgery, basically. Um, so that was the twenty eighth. He basically recommended. I asked him, I go, do I need to do chemotherapy up here in in Boston? And he said, No, nope, not the chemotherapy. I got a great guy down at Hartford Healthcare uh, by the name of uh, Ted Hong. Uh so, so he referred me to Dr. Hong. I ended up calling Dr. Hong that Friday. Uh got in with him the following uh uh Wednesday, uh, which I think would have been um February 2nd. He looked at everything, looked at the radiology reports. Uh he obviously knew Fernandez uh from before. And um, you know, he basically looked at everything and said, you know, based on where the based on where this is, you're stage two B. The, the thought was you had a tumor that was two and a half centimeters big, and it looked like to the radiologists that it had spread to one lymph node that was right below the pancreas. Um, you know, Doctor Hong had said could be a reflection. You know, could be other noise, but let's just go with what let's just go with that that is, and we'll stage it two B. Um, on February fourth, I went to Hartford Healthcare, got a port installed. And on Monday, February the 7th, I started chemotherapy, uh, the first of eight rounds of chemotherapy. So every other week, so a total course of four months uh, on uh, the, the drug combination called fulfirinox, uh, which is a, a pretty um, a powerful uh, chemotherapy drug regimen. Um, didn't have any side effects. I, uh, I um, you know, when you kind of go through chemotherapy, and I, I don't know if some of your guests have talked about this before, but they give you a ton of drugs beforehand, right? And so, you know, one of the drugs they give you is this steroid called dexamethasone, which I mean, you get 10 milligrams of it, and it makes you feel like you can bench press a car. Uh, it's, it's it's incredible. And one of the things, uh, my brother-in-law, who's a physician's assistant GI, is GI specialty, is kind of going through me with this on the journey, told me, he goes, hey, remember when um, President Trump got off the, after he got out of Walter Reed with the COVID and you know, get off the, uh, the helicopter and went up those stairs. They said he was on 24 milligrams of dexamethasone. So, I mean, (laughs) I I will tell you, I was, you're just 10 milligrams. You're up for the night, right? So you go to sleep, uh, for the night and you feel empowered. Um, uh, so, you know, I would do Wednesday through Friday would be my normal chemo days. Thursday, I wouldn't sleep Wednesday night, Thursday, I'd be at work and, operating you know very high functional and yeah you have your you know you you you, you get the drugs on Wednesday and then you go home with a pump, the pump uh, with, yeah. with, with with one of the drugs called five uh, fu which is good because you like to give an F U to cancer I think at, at yeah. that point so it's aptly named um <laughs> you know uh, but uh, I I I didn't really have um any side effects um, which was great. I mean I managed it really well. I was tired sometimes on Saturdays, but, you know, I just sleep in a little bit and uh, and, um, you know, be able to work out and exercise and eat and you know go to therapy and uh, go to work. I was working the whole time. All this was going on. I mean, I, I wouldn't on the days that I was injected, I wouldn't be working. Uh, but if I had the pump and on the days I got disconnected from the pump, I was working.
0: Jay, I, I want to jump in here real quick before we get to the next step here. Before twenty one, any health issues?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it's 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 a great question. No, I mean, I um, I had a uh, torn meniscus on my knee that I got repaired, and my wisdom teeth out when I was seventeen, and um, that's been the extent of my health issues. So, I mean,
0: and you're a pretty active guy. It sounds like. I mean, yeah. you're and you you know, I mean, and... in <sighs> we're always are we always are the most aware of how our body feels, right? So yeah. like if something's up, you know, then then we're going. But it, it it's just interesting. I mean we we've heard about like GI issues, right? Um I have we we've had females on that have said like yeah their urine was really just something was wrong with it. Really, really dark. Um I think someone was like, yeah, it was like really brown. And they were like, yeah, this is not, it's like rust color, rust yeah. rust coming out, you know? And you kind of think like, oh, you know, that's not good. Something with the bladder, you know, like, oh, something's not right. And, you know, clearly you go there. And, and it's interesting, like the, this dialogue you had from the very beginning, because th- the gallbladder is always kind of like, and in this I'm not trying to throw doctors under the bus here, but you know, maybe this is part of you know that awareness piece that we have to continue to raise. You know, like the gallbladder is always the I, I guess it is kind of the 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 place of where this 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 yellowing comes from, right? Like something's going on with the gallbladder. And similar experience with my dad. I had my gallbladder removed in 2018 as well. I had stomach issues like i i was having these pains my eyes turned yellow so i freaked out go to the doctor they're like yeah you have gallstones you get like this sludge in your gallbladder just take it out laparoscopically and you're done but we hear this often you know from a lot of people like it's like when they when they you know they go there first but my question is let's get to the pancreas first and then let's look at the gallbladder
1: yeah it's it's you know it's interesting you bring that up you know because you know, I did talk with this, so the head of surgery at UConn, I go to church with his name's Dave McFadden. Great guy. I mean, I love him to death, family friend. Yeah. And um, you know, I went and met with him about this, about, you know, because I wanted to get, you know, his view on neojuba chemotherapy, taking it out. Cause he's the one because because he did tell me, he goes, look, we could put you on the table tomorrow. You're you're receptable. Yeah. Um, you know, but but one of the things that, that he told me, kind of to your point, uh, was, you know, we thought it was your gallbladder. You know, thank God that uh, that um, bile duct collapsed after we took that plastic stent out, because if it had stayed open, you would have been coming in complaining about stomach issues. And we would have done some tests and put you on Pepsid, and you would have come back complaining about that. And by the time we figured it out, it would have been too late because it's just not what they what they immediately reached for. It's funny, he said that one of the doctors that was in the hospital when I was back there in November, I thought this was cruel at the time, but one of the things she said was, you know, we needed a CT scan to look to make sure you don't have cancer.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, hey, you can't just hit me with that. I mean I can't even yeah. you know, jaundice, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know,
1: bring the vitamin D shot. <laughs> yeah. So um, but but looking back in retrospect, it's like she was right. You know, you should be, you know, looking for her brother's stuff as well. And to their credit, they looked at the pancreas. They didn't see anything, um, which led yeah. them then to the gallbladder conclusion. Um, you know, if they would have done a blood test like, like uh, again, the ca nineteen I'm, I'm sure other patients have talked about that as a tumor marker. If, if they would have run that, they probably would have seen elevated levels, um, you know, enough above normal that, that maybe that would have warranted some consideration. But sometimes, you know, again, my understanding from talking to my oncologist is, Sometimes above normal levels could be another, other, other inflationary, other inflammatory uh, items there in the, um, in the gut. Yeah. Uh, So so it's, 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 it's not, it's not always a a good predictor.
0: Yeah. And I know there's that, there's the, you know, the side of like anytime, like you mentioned that, you know, the ERCP, like doing the brushing, right? Anytime you do any type of procedure, any type of test, there's always risk, right? So it's like this risk reward, you know, I guess like putting someone through a CT scan or additional testing, like dropping, you know, an EUS, like, you know, going down, you know, putting people under, you know, there's risk and then, you know, going down. I mean... I've had EUSs, I've had colonoscopies. It's kind of the same thing, right? Like anytime you go under anesthesia or any type of uh, you know, anesthetic and and they start probing, anything can happen. You know, people can perforate or tear or whatever, you know, whatever can happen, or you can disrupt, you know, cells and, and make things worse. So I I guess again, there's that risk reward here when it comes to it. I again I, I just don't understand why, like, to your point, like that nurse brought it up early. But then like the, the systems, right? Like this is a systems thing, right? Like we've got to, you know, cause we don't have early detection or we don't have definitive things. Like maybe the the checklist needs to, we need to rearrange the checklist on what gets checked off before we go to the next, I guess is my point.
1: I, I would fully agree with that. I mean, you know, haven't seen it live. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, and this, and this, and this is why there's such bad outcomes with the, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, with the diagnosis. Cause, uh, it, 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 and some people, they're their own worst enemies. Like I know a fella who who had the, um, you know, the rust color, the root beer colored urine, and he just kind of let it go for about three or four months. Yeah. Um, you know, and by the time he goes and gets diagnosed, he's stage three. Now he was operable. He was resectable. Um, but still, he's kind of kicking himself thinking, you know, I I let this thing go for so long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to you. You, you go through the eight rounds of Flithorinox. Um, and then when do you go in to get the Whipple?
1: Yeah. So I went in July 15th. So I did, so the eight rounds of Fulpirinox kind of ended on the end of May. I had a CT scan in the middle that showed the tumor shrunk, um, uh, from two and a half centimeters into two centimeters, uh, a CT scan at the end of the, um, chemo said it was still the same size. It was stable at two centimeters, hadn't gone anywhere. Um, and I got a two week, two and a half week break. And then I started um, chemo radiation uh, up at Mass General, so I I took a pill form of uh, that five FU that that uh, um, uh, fluorouracil, so I took a pill form of that three in the morning and four at night, uh, and then I basically went into Mass General and they had um, uh, a radiation machine that and I got little tattoos on my chest where uh, you know they look like freckles, but you know where you know where, you know where it centered the uh, yeah. the tumor. Uh, And then they did the, um, the radiation on that along with the, uh, along with the pills that I took. Uh, And that was two weeks. Uh, So I did, I did, you know, once every day for, for five days, not including the weekend. So 10, 10 sessions in total. Um, So that kind of took me uh, through the end of June. Um, And then I got a a two week break. Um, And then July 15th is when I had the whipple procedure done.
0: Up at Mass General.
1: Up at Mass General, yeah. So, so you know, during this time, and I guess the by the way, the funny story that I have is my oncologist up at Mass General, or my radiation oncologist up at Mass General, is is a guy named Tim Hong, and yeah. um, uh, he's the brother of Ted Hong. So, uh, I mean, I'm not that I didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, I <laughs> didn't know it was going to happen, but I I had a strong sense they're going to they're going to put both brothers together for me. And and and, and again, they're both world renowned. They're both you yeah. know they're both you know great great doctors. So. Um, but yeah, so, saw so I, I met with, uh, you know, Dr. Fernandez, you know, you know, during that piece, we scheduled a whipple procedure, um, July 15th comes, you know, you know, you're a little bit nervous because, because obviously it's a, a, a pretty big thing. Uh, but having the gallbladder out saves time on that, uh, on the surgery, but he performed the surgery. It got off to a late start. So, and they didn't inform my wife about that. So the, um, anesthesiologist got tied up on a different Case and was late getting over to start me, so they started me two hours late. Oh. And so as things went, like like when it was supposed to be over, and she was expecting Fernandez to come out and talk to her, and he's still in surgery, and they just didn't give her the update that I uh. very uh, late. So she was worried. So so what was supposed to start at noon started at right around two thirty. They didn't get done until six thirty seven o'clock. um They were supposed to be done around three or four. So yeah, uh but anyways, it was uh, as. Fernandez called it better than textbook, you know, better than perfect. It it, it went really well. Um, you know, I tolerated everything uh, uh really well. And uh as as probably other people describe the whipple, you know, they take the duodenum or duodenum, however you pronounce it, pretty much out. And uh, you know, you end up with a small valve at the at the base of your stomach, a small piece of your bile duct at, at the liver, and they, they took off 30%, you know, the head of the pancreas. And then you basically just kind of, you know, suture all that to, um, the large intestine. And that's kind of my anatomically altered, uh, self-down. So I kept my spleen. Um, they took out 16 lymph nodes. Uh, the final pathology was basically the neoadjuvant chemotherapy helped drink the tumor, actually deaden it. Uh, uh, pretty much the way Dr. Hong in, in Boston was describing it is, you know, it's, it's like at the range in your, driveway, right? You know, as the sun comes out, you'll have this ring, right? Where you had a larger pool, then maybe you have some smaller pockets or smaller pools inside that larger ring. That's kind of what it was. It was like, okay, the overall diameter didn't change because there was a quote unquote ring there. Mm. Uh, but um, the, the tumor itself was pretty much dead. Um, you know, some live pockets when they pulled it out. But that's, uh, you know, that, that was the expectation. The pathology kind of confirmed that they took out 16 lymph nodes, no cancer in any of them. So the final staging was stage one.
0: That uh, was wow. a one B,
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, but but and again, and this is where I got to give UConn kind of all the credit. I mean, they would not take no for an answer. They kept digging and they kept digging uh, to find this thing. And and you know, without their persistence, um, I, I it, it could have been too late.
0: Jay, I, I had a question, and I'm sure that you know, knowing where you went, genetic testing family history like
1: none so my mother died of colon cancer um
0: okay.
1: but, however she never got a colonoscopy after age 50 so she got she, she got one done at 50 she didn't like it my mom was very stubborn and uh and just decided you know so, so she was diagnosed in 2018 with stage four colon cancer
0: okay
1: um so and she passed away in march of last year so that's why i was going through all this uh you know she 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 didn't have passed away i was there for uh, at the end and everything, I got my family there, uh, you know, for and everything. But uh, you know, unfortunately, she didn't, uh, she didn't make it. But um, I, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it, 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 kind of. I think where you're going on this, you know, is it gets back to early detection, you know, and and, yeah. and what can be done, you know, to to to, to find this thing early. Uh, sorry, I got sidetracked there thinking about my mom. I apologize. No,
0: no, that's okay. So, uh, w- but when you went through this, they did genetic testing. I would assume that yeah, the, the yeah. folks at Mass General sorry. didn't find anything.
1: That, no. So, well, they they did genetic testing. The sample wasn't big enough. They did what was called a liquid biopsy. Yeah. The sample wasn't good enough, so they, 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 they it came back as inconclusive. That was done at UConn. I asked uh, uh, Dr. Fernandez if he thought I should do it. He said ninety five percent of this is non genetic don't bother um however dr hong in hartford has referred me to uh genomic uh genomic yeah. testing and at hartford Healthcare because he wants it done because uh you know i got you know i've have, I have two girls and you know i want to make sure that you know they don't have to you know worry about this
0: yeah i mean statistically he's you know i'm not Dr. Fernandez is right, Uh, but you know, (laughs) you know, it it, it ranges. It's like five to ten percent. That's that's the range, right? So ninety-five. He's saying ninety-five percent. He's right. He's spot on. But you know, some people, you know, you could you could get. Tomato, tomatoes, my my thing on that, right? There, there is a risk, right? There is a an inherent risk if you have a, a BRCA mutation or Lynch syndrome, right? That we that we see often. BRCA is probably more common, the BRCA mutation, you know. Given that you don't have like a strong family history of, of a lot of cancers, uh, the one you know thing like colon cancer is part of the BRCA family, so you know potentially, and you're a young guy, so uh, you know you you just you know. I think as humans, like we want to know, right? Like we want to know the answers and this goes back to what you said about early detection. It's like, well, why don't we have early detection, right? Like this is the frustration from the the community that I'm in, you know, from the awareness factor, from from the the groups that are in the space trying to, you know, raise awareness and, and help families get through the journey. It's like, all right, how, how can we get to, you know, early detection? Like what does that look like? And quite honestly, Jay... You know, it's a blessing, like you said, that UConn was so adamant to try to figure this out early on. That doesn't happen in a lot of centers. Uh, I've heard stories like I had a guy, I know a guy very well. He was in Florida, and you know, he had some gurgling stomach pain, and he went to the ER. And the the guy, the 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 PA, I don't even know. I think it was a, it was the doctor actually. The ER doctor was just persistent to figure out like what was going on and they finally like sent the guy for a CT scan and they found like a stage one tumor, you know, like, so like that's it, that, but I could tell you from my experience when I hear stories of like stage one, early onset, you know, like these types of cases, it's because there's someone in that scenario that's super persistent and you know what, it's usually not the patient and and I'm not saying that in a bad way because patients don't know it's usually maybe someone in that medical field behind the scenes that just said hey let's just do this test to just rule this out
1: oh you're spot on and i look and i'm a big advocate
0: for myself and i'm
1: yeah. once you get the diagnosis you you know your 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 advocacy range goes up dramatically yeah but, but yeah i mean back in november i mean i didn't want to hear if i had cancer or not i want you guys to you know just fix me no it's, it's the gallbladder. okay great i'm home, yeah. i'm and everything's fine, you know, and December was great and Christmas was great. And, you know, January was kind of a, you know, kick in the chops, so to speak. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a kick in the chops for sure. So you have the surgery up at Mass General. Yep. Everything other than the, the, everything coming out of the surgery was good. What was surgery post? Did you have to do more chemotherapy or was it because of the margins and because of the staging, like it wasn't required?
1: Yeah, because of the margins and the staging, I mean, because they got everything and there was nothing in the lymph nodes, um, they, they had concluded no chemo afterwards. So um, the original goal was, you know, you meet with the oncologist every six weeks. You know, in addition to the port flush, they would do some tumor marker testing. Um, and then they would I would get scans starting every three months. Now, unfortunately, so I was in the hospital for four days after Mass gen. And I was eating, you know, going to the bathroom, Um, you know, uh, obviously you have whatever, 30 staples in your body. So you're not moving around great. But, uh, you know, I was walking the halls and and up and at them. I mean, you're up the next day. Um, So so I got discharged after four days, Um, you know, and during the convalescence, things were going well, you know, we were planning to kind of go back. Um, So, so, so my first, visit with the oncologist was back in the middle of august and you know i complained about not being able to eat you know lack of appetite um you know lack of strength overall and again he thought i was just dehydrated so you know put a bag of fluid in and um you know come back and see us you know uh, that was on on a friday we'll do a bag of fluid you come back and see us on monday see how things are or maybe it was a tuesday the following tuesday come back the following tuesday look less than how you are Man, I came back that following Tuesday and um they were getting ready to to access my port to, to put the fluids in. Um and I developed this huge chills where I was just shaking. And um they concluded that there was some that that there was something wrong with me. And um they called an ambulance and I went to Hartford Hospital. And uh what what it turned out was I developed a uh I call it post-surgical, but it, who knows where I got it. I developed a bacterial infection in my body that that basically was collecting around pancreatic fluid that my body made a little pocket for, uh, as well as bile fluid that my body made a pocket for. There were just leaks. It, you know, there would have been minor leaks coming out of, uh, you know, you you know know coming out of the surgery, that the body would just normally have healed. However, the bacterial infection kind of prevented that from happening. So I get to the hospital and uh, I developed a GI bleed um, that was life threatening. I went to cardiac arrest. Um, uh, and, you know, and they're, they're telling my wife, you know, uh, and if you if you saw that, if you watch kind of the DeMar Hamlin uh, incident um, or episode, the, the first thing they focused on when he kind of regained health that they were briefing everybody on the bottom of your screen was his neurological function appears intact. And that's what they worry about when you go into cardiac arrest. So cardiac arrest, the heart's trying to protect itself to so realizes there's lack of blood flow. But what it's doing is cutting off blood flow to the brain and other major organs. So it can cause damage to them. You know, they told my wife, you know, he might not wake up. He might be a vegetable when he wakes up. You know, all, you know, they have to kind of brace her for this. Uh, Thank, thankfully, you know, I woke up uh, uh, fine, uh, passed a neurological test. Uh, but then I was in the ICU for about two months because they was trying to figure out how to get all of this infected um, uh, uh, residual stuff out of me, and I, I had seven drains at one point on my body to try to drain this excess fluid out of me uh I ended up when I got discharged to uh, uh the hospital for special care for as a rehab facility i only had three drains on me one collecting a remnant of pancreatic fluid one collecting a remnant of biofluid and then one that was actually in my um in my uh, uh large intestine that was collecting biofluid as well just to kind of help things process better man
0: so, so, yeah, so was- I was, I was, sorry go ahead so that's, so that happens in August of 22 yeah. and then you're in their ICU for two months. So it's September, October. Yeah. So oh, what God. do you get out? Like end of October, beginning of November?
1: Uh, 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 mid October is when I got, out. I, I got out. I went in August 22nd and I got out of uh, the ICU on October 22nd and was discharged to the hospital for special care uh, in New Britain. And uh, I think I'm saying that right. Hard hit yep. New Britain, yeah. yeah. Hard hit <laughs>
0: Britain. <laughs> I'm from Bridgeport, so don't worry. I, yeah, 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 I no, don't no, matter, not. right? <laughs> you know, the Maybe the, the New Britain Brit- people get upset, but that's yes. okay. That's all right. Yeah,
1: right, <laughs> right. But uh, so, so, and I was there for a month. I got discharged on November 22nd. So all total, it was a three wow. months start to finish. Yeah, I mean, I had to learn how to walk, learn how to you know take care of myself, learn how to speak again. I mean, it was a tough
0: thing. So did you have a heart episode like doing like, so you said you had this cardiac issue. So did you, did, did, was it like a stroke almost like you're saying you had to learn how to walk? I mean, I know like if you're sitting in a bed, I mean, I think people, not everyone listening. Is going to understand this, right? Because the, like, if you, I remember like, I am not trying to relate this, but relate to this standpoint. Like, I remember I had knee surgery a long time ago and I was like bedridden for like a week. Like I, I just was in bed and trying to get up and like, you don't use your muscles or anything. It's like really debilitating, So was it because you were in ICU for so long or was it related to just the, the bacteria causing like a stroke or the cardiac episode that, or was it just like a combination of everything happening?
1: No, no, you're, you're right. Your, your, your relational example is, or your relational example is right. So I'm in that bed for two months. Um, I mean, I lost 50 pounds. Um, You know, it it was mostly muscle. And so um, they did. So I did in the ICU get out of bed and go to a chair. It required four nurses to help me, and and you and you really have to think about how you're going to move your legs to try to help you know walk over. But I had no balance mm. whatsoever. I mean you know you, you, you couldn't stand me up. Um, I did do some steps with a walker there um, and walked around the hospital floor at one point. And I was determined to, to 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 get back up on my feet, but. You know, when you're in the ICU, it's, it's, you have all sorts of tubes and wires and I mean, there's a catheter involved. I mean, yeah. there, there, there's all sorts of, you know, just crap on you. Um, so it, it makes, so it, it, they keep you in the bed and they turn you and bathe you in the bed. And, and yeah, I lost all uh, muscle balance functions basically because I was bedridden for two months. Um, so you,
0: you got to re, we got to relearn all that, relearn yeah. how to do everything. And so now you've been home since November here we are recording early February, everything's been going the way it should be. Yes. I mean,
1: my, the, the way they describe my recovery is exponential. It's, uh, and being home really helps. And, you know, you're getting up and down again, even in the hospital for special care, I couldn't get out of bed unless I was doing PT, you know, physical therapy or occupational therapy. Yeah. And so if you're not doing that, that's, you know, only three hours, out, three hours out of your day. So if you're not doing that, you know, you're, the rest of the time you're sitting in bed. So it's, you're, doing, you're doing exercises in there to strengthen things. But uh, being home has helped dramatically because
0: you're not confined to the bed. So I, I hate to say this, Jay. So you had this like good experience with pancreatic cancer. Not that anything is, about it is good, right? But given your textbook, like Dr. Fernandez said, right? And then you have this secondary thing happened to you. So it, it, it's almost and where I'm going with this is like you mentioned mental health. One, I want to know how you continue to, to do that during this part of this journey. But two, so let, let me ask you that question. So did you did you still talk to the the uh Dr. I think it was Cooney Connie. Yep. Yeah Dr. Cooney yep. Yeah. Dr. Cooney oh. during this time while you were in well I guess ICU is kind of hard to do that, but
1: yeah, I didn't talk to her when I was in the ICU. You're right. When after about two and a half weeks of being in the hospital for special care, I had, I, I, I uh, we faced on, the we zoomed. I think we, yeah, zoom, we did a zoom session. And yeah, you know, frankly, my, my stamina wasn't there. So for me to do more than 15 minutes or 20 yeah. minutes was, was tough. Um, but, but she recognized that. I mean, she, you know, was trying to figure out, you know, how I was and you know, how I was doing and, and how the recovery was. And my wife was keeping her, you know, informed, but, uh, but, but yes, but, but, but he has helped immeasurably. Um, and I as any therapist should be helping you immeasurably, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you're kind of going through a difficult time in your life.
0: So have you thought, I'm sure you have, but I shouldn't make assumptions. If you didn't start working with her, when you decided to start working with her, you said, I'm looking at my notes. It was like right around the time that you went and visited MGH around the 28th of June that you connected with her. If you didn't do any of that work beforehand, would your experience that you experienced post been different?
1: Uh, I think so. For you mentally, like mentally. absolutely. For me. I mean, I mean, uh, so I maintained a positive attitude and I think a positive attitude helps. I mean, I viewed this as I've got to beat this. I, I mean, I just didn't see any other option. Um, and I didn't want to focus on any other options. So, so with her and the tools she kind of gave me, I was able to kind of you know from a mindfulness standpoint really keep focusing on the on the positive aspect as I was going through you know the chemo, the radiation, chemo radiation, and then the surgery. And then I was down in the ICU. I mean, I mean they put me on Symbalta because you know I, I clearly was depressed. I mean, in, in, in a lot of instances I hallucinated a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I was delusional at times, you know, based on whatever meds or you know, however my body was reacting. Um and I was depressed. And so you know, they put me on Sumolta to kind of give you that even keel. But I did think of my time with Dr. Cooney when I'm in the ICU and about okay, this is just temporary. I mean it doesn't seem temporary because it's your it's your reality at the time and it's very surreal by the way. Um, but but you know it's it's just temporary. And and you know, my wife visited you know every day. I uh, had a buddy of mine come up from Atlanta. My best friend, I've known the guy since eighth grade. Came up, you know, came up from Atlanta to um, see me. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was it was tough, but you kind of make it through those little pieces with that hope, if you will, and strength that it gives you. And and uh, and she definitely helped me when I was in the hospital for special care because she kind of helped reground me. But I, I I can't tell you how many times I cried. How many times you cry about, um, I guess, you know, here's kind of how I think about it. It was a, why me? It's a survivor's guilt. It's a, why me, you know, why, why am I lucky enough to have it found so early? But then I I look at the corollary to that and if they hadn't found it, would I, would I would be still be doing, why me, you know, why am I, why didn't they find it early? You know, you know, you know, why am I dealing with this now and, and having to get things in order and, you know, embarking on a much more difficult journey.
0: Did you ever think mentally when you're in the ICU? Because what happened, My, I guess it is related, but it, it wasn't as if you were fighting the cancer, you were fighting this bacterial infection, which could be as bad as the cancer, right? Because um, it has the, the bacteria. I've known people, I've, I've heard cases where people get these crazy bacterial infections and they don't make it, right? Yep. Did it ever cross your mind, though? Like, hey, like, I I just beat pancreatic cancer. <laughs> I was textbook. I, I could do this. Or I, I kind of see it, like, just listening, Jay. It's like, you know, We, I think we, you and I talked about this off the year before. Like, I wouldn't be in this position if I didn't lose my dad. We wouldn't be talking. Yeah. If you didn't go through pancreatic cancer, beat it it prepared you maybe some could say for what you went through and now you're on the other side, you beat it and you got through it.
1: Oh yeah. I, so I, I fully agree with what you're saying. So, um, so I, I had, I was intubated, so I couldn't yeah. speak for a while. Um, when they finally took that intubation tube out and I had a, a tracheostomy done. Yeah. Um, you know, I was able to talk to the doctors you know because it was touch and go I mean they were trying to prepare my wife that he might not make it I mean I had sepsis I mean the whole nine yards there with the Hail Mary was able to do a dialysis on me which by the way I found out was very invasive um, yeah opposed to some of the other surgeries they did as well but but you know I I, I pulled the doc, it a doctor the doctor my it was a surgeon of my wife and it's, it's Dr. Lindsay bliss and, and she is you know she saved my life um, uh, and I have thanked her for it. But I, I told her and my wife, they were in the room together. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I wasn't going to let cancer beat me. I'm sure not going to let some, you know, small bacterial infection, you know, beat me. And because um, it is, it's, it's, my oncologist calls it a miracle. I mean, there, there, there was, it was, um, it was very grave. I mean, to say it was touch and go for a while, it, they didn't know if I was going to wake up. And I a a couple of times. I mean, I had two cardiac arrest events, basically. Um, because of two separate bleeds.
0: So amazing. Uh, amazing that you beat it. You're here. You're sharing your story um, and inspiring others um, in your journey, Jay. A couple of questions left here for you. So moving forward now, because of all this, how did that kind of change? Like, uh, usually, I think the, right away it's like three months or six months. So, did this throw a monkey wrench into any of that screening and like direction and where you go now post? You know, I'm done with pancreatic cancer.
1: Yeah, excellent question. So, one of the one of the advantages, quote unquote advantages, of being in the <laughs> of being in the ICU for two months and having this problem, I had multiple CT scans. <laughs> Um, after the fact, and then um, I also had a filter, I had a blood clot filter placed inside me as well. That they then wanted to take out in December, so I had another scan in December. Every single one of those scans, the pancreas was unremarkable, um, and so and so my oncologist was like, "Look, you you've been irradiated enough. Um, you know, if it was going to come back so soon, we we would have seen it. Yeah. So there's no evidence of disease." So I'm still going to monitor you, but I'm going to put you on a six month scan schedule now, because you just had so many of them done that pointed to, um, you know, the fact that, that, that it wasn't there. I think they did the blood test on my, um, on my CA 19 nine and yeah and uh, it's 13 right now, which is well within, it's supposed to be less than 35 correct uh, units per milliliter or whatever, yeah. whatever the, the, the piece is. And so I'm at a 13 right now, um, and so, so yeah, so I go back and, um, I'll see the oncologist one more time for a six week checkup, but then I'm going to go back, go to a three month visit with him, uh, with Dr. Hong and then a six month scan schedule, scan schedule. So my next scan won't be until, um, first week of June. It's of, uh, awesome. It's yeah.
0: awesome. awesome. You mentioned your wife a lot. Uh, I know you mentioned friends. I, I can't fathom uh, you know what it's been like for your wife but w- what has the support been from the community? And I know I mentioned your secretary. I mean she she was emailing me and, and you know said please say prayers for Jay and, and you know was very open about everything that was going on but the support from I know work's been super supportive. Um, talk a little bit about that. what's that meant to you you know because I, I always say no one ever does this alone but I don't think we give enough credit to those people that help us on this journey.
1: Oh yeah. And, and I think some of them don't even, don't even know they're helping. I mean, some, some positive comments and well wishes, I mean, they mean the world. And, 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 and um, so is CaringBridge is where my wife set that, yep. you know, uh, update uh, on and uh, the responses on there. Uh, it just helps. It just, it just, it helps ground you. It helps give you that positive energy. Um, you know, I have a, a very close cadre of college friends that, you know, we've been friends for you know 30 years now, or more than 30 years now, since the 80s. Um and uh, uh you know, you know, one of them calls me and and he's all I, I I just want you to know, I've started, you know, I I I I drove down to my kids' colleges. He has four kids, three of them go to a simple college. And then one of them goes to another a college in the Northeast. So one of them goes to, the three of them go to college down south. He goes, he, he lives outside of uh, Philadelphia in New Jersey. He's all, I drove down there and took them all out to dinner. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I just want you to know you're making a difference in my life. I, I I get it now that every day isn't guaranteed or the next day, sorry, isn't guaranteed. You know, and I'm doing more things with my wife. You know, I, we, 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 we you know, we, 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 we kind of let date nights go and, and I'm, I'm bringing those back and. I'm seeing the other kid in the Northeast, and you know it's, it's very meaningful, you know, that, that you have that effect on people, and and uh, and uh, I've had other people tell me too that that you know, their perspective on life is is changing now, and and you yeah, know that's meaningful, and if, and if I can be an inspiration that way to people that are going through their own journey uh, or to people that have come out to their side, I mean it's a small group, and uh, it's good. To, I mean you don't want to be in the club, uh, but it's 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 good to be in the club. Um, you know, God willing, I got, you know, 20 to 25 Christmases left of me.
0: I love it. Someone listening to this podcast, Jay, maybe they just have been recently diagnosed. Maybe they know someone uh, in their family. Given your journey, what are some of the the things you would say like as advice? I know it's I I often bring this question up, and I I hate saying like what's the best thing because I don't think there's a best thing. Um, I'm sure there's a there's a plethora of things, but in in your experience, what advice would you give someone listening that just got oh, diagnosed?
1: Yeah, yeah it's, so I would. The first thing I say is focus on your mental health. I mean, it's it's it, you know getting your mind right or or the the toll it takes on on your mental health is, is significant. So finding someone that can help you with that, I think is, is important. I think maintaining a positive attitude, no matter what stage you are, maintaining that positive attitude that you can beat this because you can, I mean, you know, modern medicine is, 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 uh, is, 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 catching up. You know, there's clinical trials that are out there that you can try to avail yourself of. There's the, you know, the full um, you know that 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 if you can tolerate it, you know, that would be, you know, you know, uh, a good thing. But I I I would suggest, you know, reaching out and develop your your support group, your support network, um, to help you maintain that positive attitude as well. I mean, there's with modern medicine right now, there's there's a there's a host of things that are going on. And you know, kind of talking about our area, um, Dina Farber, uh, you know, they want to make cancer just a chronic condition. You got to live with it. You know, maybe it's not a cure Right now but maybe we can we can we can help you live longer and productively and pain-free um and so i think checking them out as long as as well as the mayo clinic and and you know in rochester minnesota i think you know they're or md anderson i mean i i think there there are places that um you know are, are really trying to help and and uh and you know looking at the clinical trials there i think are important
0: yeah there there's certainly a lot happening um, selfishly, there's not enough. Right. Uh, but you know, by continuing to raise awareness, continue to share stories of hope and inspiration, um, we hope we inspire people that are in the disease to continue to fight, uh, continue to raise money, support groups. And then more importantly, the people outside of the space. And that's something, you know, you, you mentioned before, you know, this is a, a rare disease, right? in theory, right. We say in theory here air quotes if you're watching. I use these air quotes. I don't think it's rare, but I guess yeah, statistically when we compare it to other cancers, um the federal definition, I I I, I don't even that's a good I sh- I need to look up what the federal definition that makes it a rare cancer because it impacts, you know, this year it'll be 64, almost 65,000 people, right? Which is still considered low when you compare it to breast cancer, lung cancer. But when we look at other statistics, you know, it's, it's high, right? We look at mortality, survivability, it's low survivability, high mortality. So, but we really got to inspire the outside, the people outside. And that's how we really create change. Because I've always said, if you look at breast cancer, my mom's a two-time breast cancer survivor. So I don't feel guilty saying this. I love what they've done, um, you know, but they they get like five to one, you know, like yeah. they, they get a lot of, there's a lot of pink and they've done great things. And they, they I hope they continue to do a lot of great things. And my mom's alive because of all those things, but my dad, he's gone um and we need to do more for pancreatic cancer um you know if it would it would be great if there was this internal bucket of money jay at the nih that you know every you know cancer got a billion dollars uh not to go political here but you know we've been handing out a lot of checks lately and you know i haven't seen cancer research go up maybe there's there's an idea of just like filling all the the buckets for cancer research, and you know, let's just see what that does. Be interesting to see what a billion dollars in every cancer would do. Um, who knows? Oh, it
1: would be it would be significant. You know, it's, it's funny too because again, you don't want to get political, but you look at guys like Bezos that have 139 billion dollars. That I mean, I'm I'm sure he's you know living paycheck to paycheck, but boy, if, if, if you could give, you know, if you, if you, if you could tap that. For you know, cancer research, disease research. I mean, you know, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, you talked about that compassion for other people. I mean, you know, un- unfortunately, it's a disease that it, it, it doesn't care who you are. I mean, Steve Jobs, you know, Thank Chad you. Bozeman, you know, yeah. it, 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 Patrick Swayze. It doesn't care me. It doesn't care. You know, um, who you are, uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't get the um, the light shine. You know, the light shown on it. Quite as bright because you know uh, seven billion people worldwide there will be about half a million people that will get pain created cancer this year i mean that's unfortunately it's, it's, it's a low number Yeah, it's a low number but the mortality rate is you know unfortunately pretty high it's in the 70s for yeah. one year survivability
0: yeah but hopefully podcasts like this uh will hopefully inspire uh, and help amplify you know the 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 message that we need more and we need people to get involved and we need help you know researchers all over the world need need support from philanthropy from private sources from public corporations from government from pharmaceutical side right pharma's got to do a better job you know we need more pharma partners like look what we were able to do with you know COVID. You know, I mean, there was, there was billions, trillions, you know, regardless of whatever your COVID beliefs are, are, this is not the podcast episode for that, but like, look what we're able to do, you know? So it can be done. I just, uh, hopefully it happens sooner than later in the cancer space. My last question for you here, and this is always a, a loaded question. There's no right or wrong to it, Jay, but given your experience, what you've gone through how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? What's your definition?
1: Oh, um, I, I, you know, it's, 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 it is a loaded question. Um, you know, my definition of it is, is, uh, um, something that's a bad diagnosis, but, you know, with hope you can get a good prognosis out of it. Um, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's January 13th. It'll it it'll live with me forever for the rest of my days. You get that call from your doctor. And you know it's bad when the doctor is calling you and it's not the nurse to talk about the second set of cell brushings. And so you, you know, it's a little, you know, you know, 15 milliseconds of small talk. And then it's like, hey, well, you know, bad luck here. I'm sorry to tell you that, you know, you, you, you have this. And uh, the sunken feeling you get in the pit of your stomach um, over what to do about that. Um, you know, can quickly change. Um, you know, if you got the right support network and if you get the right uh, mental health, um, you know, view on that. But uh, you know, I, I you know, my definition of a pan- pancreatic cancer is survivability. It's, it's 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 don't give up. You know, you can beat this.
0: I love it. It's powerful stuff. Jay, last thing here. Someone listening, um, may, like I said before, they may be going through it. They, they resonated with you here um, or want to ask you a question um, where's the best place for our audience to connect with you
1: Yeah my my personal email it'd be great it's, it's my name It's J at gmail.com and uh, I'd be happy to talk to anybody going anybody going through this and and uh, with, with similar or with different um, feelings or aspects to it
0: Awesome. Jay, thanks for allowing us to share your journey and for inspiring myself, our audience. Um, just awesome, uh, you know. As I said in in introducing you, you know, we had this podcast, and, and you know, I've been doing this podcast six years. People cancel from time to time, all the time. You know, stuff comes up, people get sick, they go through treatments, but you know, seldom do people reschedule. Um, and, and like I said, your, your assistant shared your, the caring bird your wife set up. And so I, I, I did see what was going on. And when I saw the reschedule, I was like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. And, you know, things are going in the right direction and I just can't wait to have them on the podcast and talk more about the journey. So appreciate you opening up for our audience and inspiring our community with your journey.
1: Well, th- thanks for having me, Dino. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here and I'm pleased to be able to, uh, to share that and if i can inspire people or give hope to people um that's that's what i'm going for so uh it's 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 beatable and you know if, if you just keep that positive attitude i know it sounds a little pollyannish but um i'm telling you it goes it goes a long way
0: does it when you're the person who's gone through it jay yeah thanks for listening to another episode of the project purple podcast If you like what you hear today or what you watch on YouTube, feel free to share this episode. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on our YouTube channel. And until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast.